This is what indexical visualization does. It indicates, it, it points to a phenomenon and it frames it in a certain way so, so we can see it. Data Stories is sponsored by Tableau. Tableau helps people see and understand their data. Tableau 10 is the latest version of the company's rapid-fire, easy-to-use visual analytics software. It includes a completely refreshed design, mobile enhancements, new options for preparing, integrating, and connecting to data, and a host of new enterprise capabilities. For more information, go to Tableau's website, www.tableau.com. It's a new data story. Yeah. Hi, Enrico. How are you doing? Well, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. With the new music. I can see your head. Yeah. You nod with the groove. We're nodding. Yeah, yeah. people can see yeah. that, so, but we're nodding. Yeah. So we have a new title music. Yeah. Thanks to Odd One in Berlin, a great audio shop. So if you also need a new podcast music, you might contact them. They're really cool. <laughs> And yeah, now we have a new groove. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Let us know how you like it. It's exciting. We've been using the old one for years, right? It's so you don't even think about <laughs> it's it. It's been what? Almost four years of the old one? Yeah, right. So, oh my God, yeah. yeah. It's like a fresh painting for your apartment. It's a fresh painting. It's. Um, <laughs> 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 oh my god i'm no, getting emotional really nice. i like the old one too oh, I yeah, like of the course old one too. yeah and we had that from dave from pilot vibe yeah so we should mention that too yeah, yeah. yeah super nice <laughs> thanks uh, dave. really good music too <laughs> yeah but the new groove is good too uh, yeah, so. yeah 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 that's a good one that's a good yeah. one yeah <laughs> wow yeah so how are things for you enrico Things are going well. Going well, going well, and not much of a vacation this year. Working hard, yeah. but summer is always good, and um, yeah, having a good time. Just working yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about you? I know you've been around a little bit. Yeah, same here. I mean, I had a crazy June and a relaxed July, but now August is kicking in with some work to do. Yeah, as as for you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're warming up the engines for. I do enjoy working, so I'm only half complaining. I actually enjoy working. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's the problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> Almost too much. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I can also take some time off. Yeah. I'll have another vacation in in October, so I can now get something done. Yeah. Cool. Shall we start? Let's start. Let's dive right in. So today we have another special guest. And uh, it's a familiar face and voice, uh, Dietmar Offenhuber, who we had on the show already for the Smart Cities uh, episode. And now we have a new topic to discuss with him. Hi, Dietmar. Hi, Moritz. Hi, Enrico. Hey, Dietmar. Hey, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for inviting me again. Yeah. Yeah. So the topic today has a bit of an obscure title. <laughs> It's called indexical visualization, but it's a super fascinating topic, and it's one I'm I'm personally really interested in. And uh, yeah, Dietmar happens to be one of the experts on that, so um, we wanted to get get him on and discuss a bit what it's uh, all about. And the first question, of course, everybody will have is. What is, is indexical, indexical visualization? visualization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe let's get that straight out of the way. Let's so, start so with the hard task. What is it? What is it? 
Yeah, this this is actually a very hard question to begin with. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, want a mathematical definition. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, the, it is hard because indexical, indexical visualization is a little bit of a paradoxical thing because it is visualization without representation. Uh, so it is. Uh, so I use it to describe a collection of strategies that allow us to more or less directly observe a phenomenon uh, without translating it into a symbolic visual language such as charts and maps. So there's no real data involved in terms of numbers or databases or something like this, yeah? Exactly, exactly. So that's the second paradoxical thing because uh, indexical vis visualization is visualization without data, since data are also a form of uh, symbolic abstraction or, or representation. Mm -hmm. So, so this idea of, of uh, non-representational visualization is is uh, radically different from what we understand uh, as you know uh, under the rubric of data visualization. Um, so maybe um, best idea would be to start explaining it through an example. Yes. So think of a think of a wind tunnel. So we cannot really see the the airflow, but if we add some smoke very precisely, so we start mm -hmm. seeing lines, and and the lines indicate the movement of air. And if we do it uh, in a very uh, you know accurate way, then we have a beautiful three D visualization. But Those lines that we see, those lines of smoke, are not really representations. They don't really stand for something else. They are part of the phenomenon that we are actually interested in. So this is what indexical visualization does. It indicates, it, it points to a phenomenon, and it frames it in a certain way so, so we can see it. So this is, of course, the, um, the term is, is a reference to Charles Sanders Peirce uh, and his uh, uh, semiology, where he said that the index uh, shows something about an object because it's uh, physically connected to it. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's different. You also say index finger is basically the exactly. finger you point with, right? So is that the root of the word? Is that the exactly, same? exactly. So it's, it's, it's really about this act of pointing. And... That's the second reason why it's hard to define because it's indexical visualization is not really about what it is, but what it does. So it is a very performative uh, um, notion. So under this, um, so what what does this mean? Uh, or because I, I said earlier that it's a collection of strategies. So so what are some of these strategies that we can use uh, to produce indexical visualizations? So one of the most um, important aspects of it uh, is connected to producing traces. So that's what happens in the wind tunnel when we uh, add the smoke as a visible marker, or if we, you know, go to the hospital and uh, we do an X-ray and we have to swallow some radioactive tracer material so that uh, you know those things show up on the X-ray. So, so there, there. Or you know, if you like, uh, you know, watching CSI and those different crime shows, you know, making the latent fingerprints visible. Uh, that's those are all different acts of producing traces to to make something visible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, well, a second strategy would be constraining a phenomenon, so taking away degrees of freedom. Uh, if you think about a, a thermometer, 
has liquid inside and the liquid expands with temperature, but we wouldn't be able to see it. Uh, so we have to make sure that it can only expand in a single direction uh, in a very thin glass tube. So, so this um, act of showing something by constraining it uh, is, is a very important element. Um, a third strategy is related is uh, about framing the phenomenon. So this means that we have to add some references for comparison. Um, so the New York artist Natalie Cheremichenko uh, did a number of projects along those lines. Uh, one very simple one is where she used dust masks that have a grayscale uh, printed. Mm -hmm. And if you go through very you know, strong air pollution, the dust mask will turn gray. And then by comparing it with this reference, you can see how bad it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the dust mask becomes the visualization. Exactly, exactly. Just by adding adding that legend or adding exactly. that scale to it, it suddenly becomes a visualization. That's a crazy thought, actually, because... It's, it sounds like a stoner thought, almost like, whoa, 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 everything's a visualization, <laughs> right? I mean, is there, do, do you think there's a limit there? I mean, at some point, everything might become visualization of something if you see it like this, right? Yeah, I mean, of course, that's, that's another uh, hard thing to really, you know, the, the, the problem of specificity. But in this case, what the scale does is that it's actually what differentiates just any phenomenon from something that becomes data, mm -hmm. you know, by basically adding a scale or thinking about the sundial mm -hmm. uh, or actually a beautiful um, device that was invented uh, in the uh, 18th century that uh, we used for the uh, program for the symposium that we're going to talk about uh, later as well is the cyanometer. It is actually a ring that has a blue color scale on the outside. And this is, it's here to measure the blueness of the sky. Mm -hmm. And by that, you can basically estimate the humidity of the air. Um, okay. And uh, so without this frame of reference, you know, how blue is the sky is a kind of a meaningless question, unless you start adding a scale, so to make it basically systematic and make it discrete. And, and I think what's the interesting part here, or a sundial, mm -hmm. uh, what the interesting part here is that this is really the moment when a kind of a systematic observation uh, uh, becomes discrete, becomes data, mm -hmm. which, which also you know, is a big difference compared to uh, data visualization, where data is already something that we have uh, in the beginning before we start. So, but here we are really going through this process of interpretation and, and uh, discretization ourselves. Mm -hmm. And inviting that measurement, basically. That's exactly. That you give you a tool to, to actually measure. I was also thinking about analog and digital clocks. Yes. So, you know, if you have a clock made from springs, it actually, it's just a physical system and it happens to show the time because it's smartly assembled, but there's no, no number really encoded anywhere in the system. It's, it's just angles and movements and, and stuff. And the digital clock has this abstract, like, representation of time and what time is and what an hour is and what a minute is. Um, but then some digital clocks or like lots of modern clocks are all, like most are electric, but then they have the, the hands of the analog mm -hmm. clocks mm -hmm. again, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think when you yeah. mentioned the wind tunnel, I was also thinking like, yeah, maybe you would visualize the same data also as these 
you yeah. know, wind tunnel lines. So I think this is also interesting that a lot of the data visualization strategies we use routinely come from the physical world and come from actual processes that happen and have a certain causality and are plausible uh, physically. Right? Exactly. And, and this is also where our really beautiful uh, categories break down. Uh, because if you really think about it, you know, the computer, yeah. the computer is also indexical device. So, you know, there's no magic happening inside. There is, you know, some right. kind it's of defined condition. It's yeah. electricity. And, uh, and this is exactly where... Uh, um, I want to add a fourth principle, which is uh, minimizing the distance between uh, the visualization and the phenomenon that uh, that we are looking at. So, if you think about, mm -hmm. you know, the clock or the thermometer, um, you know, digitizing and uh, storing it, you know, uh, in some kind of digital storage uh, uh, capacity. That you know does not really necessarily change uh, the the reading of, um, of 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 the temperature, but it increases the distance between the physical experience of of temperature and uh, you know this kind of appearance that of, of of the visualization. So so what we have in fact is a is a continuous scale between you know the the, the cooked and the processed and and and, and the raw. Uh, so it is. Uh, it, that's also where we can later start relaxing uh, this definition of indexical visualization a little bit, because we are actually not always or exclusively dealing with physical phenomena. So there are a lot of indexical processes that also apply in, you know, data visualizations as we know it. Mm -hmm. An indexical visualization doesn't necessarily have to be physical, right? So as long as um, the digital representation of information is as close as possible to the original signal. Is that the way uh, this works? That I remember is, uh, that is this is definitely one criterion. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you once mentioned, for instance, the uh, router that you have in front of you with all these uh, blinking lights is an example of kind of like in between digital and physical visualization, right? Yeah, that's a funny example because uh, you know the you know we were talking about uh, the LED lights on the on the on your internet router, and you know usually we don't really think about what each uh, LED means, and we don't really interpret exactly you know the the rhythm and and, and you know those come what we see, uh, but we read it as a trace. You know, we we just read it as an indication that something happens if it just immediately, you know, at, at some point starts basically going crazy, uh, then we, we know that, you know, something is going on and some uh, network traffic occurs. So so we have a, a purely symbolic representation, uh, but the way how we read it is actually as a as a, as a uh, indexical as an indication of something that happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so there are a lot of uh, different uh, layers and uh, stages in between, and <laughs> frankly, that's really uh, what um, visual communication or communication in general is about. So there's no pure form of communication. So this is actually where the um, one very important difference between data visualization and indexical visualization. When we look at data visualization, we usually use data as a starting point. Uh, but in the indexical visualization, uh, data is the end result of our interpretation. Uh, so the, you know, 
they might look very similar, the different forms, you know. If you think of tree rings, for example, mm -hmm. you know, they almost look like a visualization. And in fact, there are many visualizations that use tree rings as a metaphor, but the, the direction is, is a different one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is what I like so much about it. It's like, you know, the whole world is sort of readable then, and you can read the world as a diagram. Basically, you just have a phenomenon and and you read its traces you make sense of its traces and then if it's rich enough and you can read enough out of the traces then you have this information experience and you're absolutely right then the the boundaries really start to blur and who cares if numbers have been involved or not if you know as long as you learn something from reading the traces and if you see it like this suddenly this whole world opens right of of things where you think like wow We've been doing this for hundreds of years also in sciences, right? Like the, the history of science is one of reading these traces and setting up smart systems that generate interesting traces, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, we, we have all this history of, of basically reading the world and, and reading phenomena, you know, figuring out whether it's going to rain tomorrow or not by, you know, looking at uh, the grass or uh, the leaves or things like that. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, on the other hand, I mean, this sounds very archaic, but uh, a lot of those forms of reading are also still present in the way how we engage with information and with visualizations and, you know, with visual artifacts around us. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, so that, that's, that's why I'm really more drawn to this kind of performative uh, definition where you really look at, you know, what, you know, Uh, what the representation does, you know, it, it shows you a certain thing um, rather than basically fitting into a, a very neat category. So this is a good time to take a little break and talk about our sponsor, Tableau. And more specifically, we're going to talk about Tableau's new release, Tableau 10. Tableau 10 is the latest version of the company's rapid-fire, easy-to-use visual analytics software. It includes a completely refreshed design, mobile enhancements, new options for preparing, integrating, and connecting to data, and a host of new enterprise capabilities. Every element of the interface was reconsidered for Tableau 10 in order to maximize cognition and help people focus on their data. Tableau Mobile now provides one-tap access to get real-time data, while the new device designer allows people to lay out visualizations ahead of time for a range of devices, which now includes Android tablets. Preparing and integrating data is easy with features such as cross-database join and union, and new visual analytics capabilities make communicating with data more intuitive. Web updates make it easier to stay in the flow of analyzing data in the cloud. And enterprise improvements make it easier to explore data in a trusted environment. The full features list for Tableau 10 can be found on Tableau's website at www.tableau.com. This is www.tableau.com. And now, back to the show. I think one thing that you briefly mentioned is this idea of um, minimizing the distance. And I think that's a that's a super interesting and important concept because um, I think on the one hand, by being able to visualize 
and talk about numbers and statistics, we can understand some phenomena much better, right? Mm -hmm. But when you use these numbers as a way to communicate information to others, there is a sometimes, I would even say often, a very big distance between these numbers and the original phenomena. Mm -hmm. and, and visualization is kind of like a way tr to try to reduce this gap but um, again, I, I believe that it doesn't reduce the gap uh, very well in, in many cases, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I think this whole idea of understanding the distance between the original phenomenon and uh, the representation is, is something that is really, really important to explore. And indexical visualization seems to be a way to get closer to the, to the origin, right? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, just a few days ago, I, I became aware of this idea of, um, so there is a researcher, his name is called, is, um, Paul Slovich, Slovak, and, um, he coined, uh, this, uh, term psychic numbness. I don't know if you are aware of that. And, uh, and the idea there is that for us, it's very easy to, um, lose sense of what large numbers, um, mean mm -hmm. right so when we are talking for instance about a number of deaths or genocide or a lot of other atrocities right one person the specific account of one person has a very big impact on you right and uh, he empirically demonstrated that the the more people you have right mm -hmm. the more you get closer to numbers right and the more the number grows and the less effect you have on the emotional response and even the decisions that people make, right? So say there are some experiments where they put people, they ask people to make kind of like political decisions <laughs> and uh, based on these numbers, right? And when the numbers grow, there is more distance and it's much harder to make sensible decisions there. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty much almost the literal definition of abstraction when you, you, you pull away from a phenomenon by, uh, yeah, that's, 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 that's very neat. That's, and, and I think, you know, we, there's a lot of concern about, uh, narrative, uh, strategies in visualization, telling stories with data, um, data stories. Um, but, uh, I think the, a second aspect is the experience of, of data and of information mm -hmm. and a mm -hmm. uh, story a story is something when someone else basically guides you and uh, you know explains something to you but when we think about traces uh, we have to put it together ourselves so so this is another I think a very interesting mm -hmm. aspect of it and um, something that you know, as you said, uh, emotionally really affects us because uh, we are really experiencing the phenomenon that, that we are talking about. And uh, so I think there is a, a, a very beautiful example, which uh, is not really a, um, you know, a indexical visualization in the narrow sense that it is a kind of a physical uh, representation or a physical phenomenon, but more in this more extended sense. Uh, uh, Camel McLuffy's visualization of Iraqi casualties uh, during the Iraq war, uh, where uh, I think the data set was originally from WikiLeaks, and he visualized it in the most simple way you can imagine by using exactly one pixel for one uh, one person who died. 
And so the result is a visualization that has a fixed resolution. So it's, it's in a way unique. You cannot really scale it. You cannot really transform it a lot. So you have a kind of a one-to-one -one relationship between uh, the visualization and, and the data. So, so this is, this is one way, uh, to, to really establish a kind of in indexical relationship, uh, within the, the narrow constraints of data visualization. Or, for example, when, when Bill Cleveland or Andrew Gelman, um, express a preference for showing all data points of a distribution rather than mm -hmm. using a box plot, uh, mm -hmm. that's also an indexical strategy because all those data points, uh, allow multiple readings and and they also require interpretation um, so again playing with the distance between the phenomenon and and, and, and the visualization yeah no that's that's a really good point and uh, I'm always struggling myself with this problem of whether I should abstract a bit and make things easier to grasp or give full details right I think there is always this tension in visualization. And what I notice is that most people tend to abstract a lot, and uh, and I tend to to give a lot of details, right? But too many details are overwhelming. So I think there is a very interesting space there where one needs to understand. Uh, I don't know where to draw the line, right? Mm -hmm. I think one other real example of uh, or uh, advantage of this strategy is that you can actually be surprised by what happens because it's a little. Like when you set up these systems, it's a little lab experiment. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, for instance, if you, one other way we haven't mentioned is, of course, long-term photo exposure or things like this, right? So you can create images based on photographic processes. And if you have a long-time exposure, you can basically capture a long process in one image. Um, but every time you do that, you never know how it turns out. Exactly. Right? So you can be, you can be really surprised by the, end result of your own visualization and i think that's really charming about it too that it's sort of you as an author you're also in the same position as the audience you just have to see how it works out basically exactly i mean as an author you're really basically you're you're building a system for observation mm -hmm. and uh and this is something that we often forget uh when we talk about traces we often think about evidence and you know basically traces speak for themselves but we we have to somehow make them visible and uh this involves to some extent an author so even when we think about something very obvious like tree rings uh we have to cut the tree before we can see the tree rings or, or do something similar <laughs> but but there's this yeah. act of uh messing uh, you know <laughs> with 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 the situation uh before we we can actually see those traces mm -hmm. Evidence is an interesting word. Like there's the whole forensic topic coming in, of course. Like what what is actual evidence? And yeah, I I think this is because one might ask, you know, okay, is this indexical visualization is a very nice uh, armchair pet topic of intellectual conversation. <laughs> good hobby, uh, to have. <laughs> but good hobby to have. But but actually, uh, uh, I think it is very important and. Uh, one of the most important aspects is really uh, this this kinship with evidence. When we think of traces, we think of evidence. And uh, this is also, from a visualization standpoint, uh, some of the, you know, one of the beautiful aspects of it, because it allows us to experience causality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and we basically 
you know, reenact by uh, looking at traces, this experience of collecting data and figuring out what is going on. And, and because of that, we find indexical forms of visualization very often in situations where evidence is very central. You know, in, in a courtroom, of course, we have uh, visualization firms that focus on courtroom visualization, which is another really interesting topic because it's right between storytelling and, you know, the indexical <laughs> notions and <laughs> yeah, things like that. Um, but, but also citizen science, you know, if you uh, look at uh, cases where, you know, citizens collect evidence of pollution uh, to basically create, you know, uh, public pressure that, you know, something is not right. Uh, those citizens are not really scientists, so they have to make uh, a, a very good case that what they collect are not just random numbers, but there is a, a kind of a evidence that can be also accepted and experienced by other people. And uh, one of the examples that we talked about at the conference uh, is is a uh, map of, of fracking uh, exposure, you know, uh, uh, hydrogen sulfide, some chemical that is found in drinking water that was visualized with photo paper in a very specific way. So you would get a map that is actually... Uh, consists of these little stripes of photo paper. And it's, it's a different thing if you have, uh, on the one hand, uh, a, you know, scatter plot or, or bar chart where, you know, someone could say, you know, anyone can do that. But if you have, uh, this physical evidence, uh, you are, you are more persuasive. And, and even in among scientists, if you look at, you know, science magazine photos, you see a lot of photos of petri dishes, you know. Now you would <laughs> say that, you know, everyone would believe that those are legitimate scientists because they published in science magazine, uh, but they still, uh, think it's, it's, it's important to show the actual visual evidence of the bacteria doing a certain thing. So, so this notion of evidence is very, um, is, 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 is very important. And, and, um, that, that's connected to other things as well. So for example, bridging different scales, we cannot really experience what happens at the microscopic scale. So, but if we use, uh, these inks and dyes that, you know, attach themselves to specific bacteria or uh, we can we can visualize something that otherwise is too small to see. So there, I, I think there are a lot of um, advantages in using these uh, these different strategies. So Dietmar, um, one thing I wanted to ask you is, um, I guess maybe some of our listeners are listening to this and want to try out, right? I think especially for the, the physical kind of indexical visualizations, um, it's an exciting idea. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on how to start or, or guidelines. My, my sense is that there are at least two ways to do physical indexical visualizations. One is going around hunting in the world and trying to find out phenomena that are already recorded into something, right? Like, as you said, cutting mm -hmm. a tree or deliberately design something knowing that you are going to capture an interesting phenomenon, right? Something like the Petri dish or similar situations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so how, how do you get started with this? Do you have any, any suggestions that you can give? 
So, um, well, one very easy uh, answer is basically we have now our documentation of the Indexical Design Symposium up and there are a lot of videos of different uh, practitioners, researchers, so we had criminologists, uh, forensic scientists, uh, biologists, historians, artists, who basically covered uh, indexical practices in the broadest possible way, also including uh, Moritz, who um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, conducted as part of the symposium uh, with Susanne Yashko, another instance of the Data Cuisine Workshop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the Boston edition, that was good. The Boston edition, exactly. <laughs> so, so I think just getting a sense of, uh, you know, all those different practices, it's, is, is, is a very good, good start because we are familiar with a lot, uh, of those different practices, but, uh, thinking about it from the angle of visualization, uh, lets us appreciate what actually happens. And, uh, there are, of course, you know, many things that you can uh, that you can do. You know, uh, instead of basically just taking data for granted, start how how data were collected and and start from there, and uh, you know, figuring out you know how can we make patterns visible visible with the least amount of transformation, and and I think also this notion of multiple readings is important. Uh, of course, it's not always uh, useful. You know, sometimes you really have a certain message and you want, want to communicate this message. So indexical visualization is, is definitely not a universal strategy, but it's, 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 it's very effective if you really uh, want to get a sense of, of all the multiple readings that are possible uh, if you look at a particular phenomenon. Yeah, and just a simple thought that you don't always need a spreadsheet to start with. I think, you know, exactly. it, it, now that I say it, it sounds very yeah. obvious, but, you know, we're so focused on what's the data, where does the data come from, which data do I visualize, that this thought that, well, maybe I can shortcut the whole thing and just visualize the phenomenon directly without any data, you know, it doesn't even cross our mind. And I mean... That's a sad fact. <laughs> <laughs> Professional <laughs> deformation. Sort of bounce back from that a bit. Yeah, it, it sounds like, yeah. Two more things came to my mind, like Nick Felton, who we had on the show already. He oh, published yeah. a book on PhotoViz. Yeah, beautiful. So that's really focused on using photography for visualization. And I think a lot of his examples would somehow qualify as Absolutely. lexical visualization as well. And then there's, of course, we have another episode with domestic data streamers. And so they make these participatory data sculptures where let's say everybody drops a pebble somewhere or mm. like um, it's often like a survey or a poll and people will like maybe pick up a, a thread uh, of wool and and you know mark something in the sculpture and by this collective activity the visualization of the collective activity emerges right so they also set up these really smart indexical systems i would say yeah, absolutely great references. Uh, photography, of course, is a huge. Uh, photography is also uh, a basically a, a perpetual problem for indexicality because already uh, Charles Sanders Peirce talked about uh, the photography as you know being iconic. You know, it it represents something. Uh, mm. It's it's a portrait of someone, but at the same time, it is the result of a of a chemical photochemical process. Mm -hmm. So so it has this kind of dual role, and 
And later then in the 60s, 70s, when image manipulation became uh, more uh, widespread and, and easier to do, uh, suddenly this, this uh, notion of authenticity, authenticity of a photograph is, is, is also uh, very much in question. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, this, this kind of long-term exposures and, and uh, manipulations and synthetic aperture and, and computational photography is, I think, a very exciting uh, a boundary area that, 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 that one can explore. And, and it also has a second element that I like a lot, which is also in the second example that you talked about, this kind of participation, uh, participatory sculptures, where, uh, which is the, the element of time. Mm -hmm. So in the end, time is the, is, is, is is, is, is the ultimate tool for uh, or category for indexicality because um, you know all those processes that happen over time leave some traces and and time is often the some of you know one of the the, the, the crucial uh, things to look at if we want to understand traces mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, I think those are very good good examples yeah, really fascinating topic we will also link of course to the conference talk so these are all recorded so you can check out the, the different uh, lectures really from all kinds of perspectives uh, to the different books there's also scientific papers if you want to dive into the uh, the hardcore stuff the semiotic aspects <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff around that too and yeah, and maybe um, listeners, if you come up with new ways of, of setting up indexical visualizations, <laughs> or if you have done in the past and you just didn't know how, that it had such a fancy name, yeah. uh, let us know and uh, we can maybe publish that too. Yeah, and Dietmar has a Pinterest board collecting uh, lots of examples, right, Dietmar? We're going to yes, link that yes, on yes, the yes. show notes. Uh, yeah, it's updated. Yes, I I do. So you know, it 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 might not be self-explanatory because sometimes uh, you might ask yourself, you know, why I think this particular <laughs> Pinterest, uh, this image is is uh, is indexical. But uh, maybe this show gives some uh, uh, clues, and and also um, there's there's also uh, a paper that that I wrote with uh, my uh, colleague and friend Orkan Telhan uh, on indexical visualization. And uh, so Orkan, uh, as an artist, he also looks into the topic uh, of, of the signature. You know, what, what does it mean uh, mm -hmm. to, to see signatures uh, in, in a particular context? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think there are a lot of uh, things to explore. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of these topics. Uh, uh, the more you look into it, the bigger it becomes. And suddenly you see it everywhere. <laughs> and I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. Thanks so much. That was really fascinating. I hope we got you hooked uh, on on this topic as well. And uh, thanks, Dietmar, for uh, joining us once again. Thanks, Enricos. Thanks, Moritz. Um, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Dietmar. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. If you can spend a couple of minutes reading us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're of course on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, all in one word. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage datastory.es 
and look for the link that you find on the bottom in the footer. So one last thing that we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want to us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for us. And that's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories. Data Stories is sponsored by Tableau. Tableau helps people see and understand their data. Tableau 10 is the latest version of the company's rapid-fire, easy-to-use visual analytics software. It includes a completely refreshed design, mobile enhancements, new options for preparing, integrating, and connecting to data, and a host of new enterprise capabilities. For more information, go to Tableau's website, www.tableau.com.